Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It feels good, man. It feels good, right? All right. Yo, yo. I'm in the light at the end of the tunnel. Paper stacks, yeah, I got them in a bunch. Welcome back to Small Market Bias. My name is Matthew Tynan. It's almost 7 o'clock Central Time, which means we are pretty much 24 hours. Uh, from the NBA draft, which means we're 24 hours from Victor Wimbanyama uh, having his name called as being drafted by the San Antonio Spurs. Honestly, I don't know what it, it what it's been, but up until yesterday, maybe last night and and today, the more we hear the the Wimbanyama sound bites, the press conference, just sort of the general noise around the whole situation, like. What is about to happen in San Antonio hasn't quite hit me until today. Maybe it's also because I've just been like buried in in the work and like thinking content, 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 and not being able to sort of sit back and and be in my basketball feelings, so to speak. Uh, but it really hit me. It really hit me today that there's just a different vibe around San Antonio right now, a different feeling basketball is back San Antonio the city feels alive again it's not that the it's not that it dies necessarily but in this town people kind of go do whatever's fun to do and the Spurs haven't exactly been fun lately like okay go out to uh the Fiesta Nights on a Friday or something like that like there's a decent showing at the AT&T Center but for the most part people have been eh, sort of checked out just kind of waiting just kind of biding their time and saying, look, we're here for you, but when we'll be back for good when you guys actually get good. And it started to sort of bring back some nostalgia for me. And I felt like this would be a great opportunity to bring my friend, Graydon Gordian, on the show. The, the, the man who, along with Andrew McNeil, brought me aboard at 48 Minutes of Hell, editor emeritus, uh, Graydon... I'm it's first of all, it's wonderful to see your face. It's been an incredibly long time and I'm just, I'm glad you're here to talk about this gigantic momentous occasion in Spurs world. They matter again. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. That yeah, they do matter again. Tell, tell, tell the streets we back up because you know, we're, 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 we're back. I, I, it's exciting, you know. I I felt like they mattered last year. I actually loved this last season. I had a lot of enjoyment okay. with it. it. A very different kind of enjoyment than I'm going to have next season and in the seasons following that. But I kind of after I learned to love the Spurs again this last year, and I feel like that that the universe rewarded that love yeah. with this with this with this moment. So. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm actually glad that you said that. Um, I look, um, when it comes to fandom, when, when you get a journalism degree and you go through all this stuff, you learn about objectivity, you learn about fair reporting, all of that. I get this question a lot. Like if I'm a Spurs fan or if I was a Spurs fan, like, yes, I grew up a Spurs fan, but 2013, Covering the finals for 48 minutes of hell. I was back and forth from San Antonio to Miami. That series broke me. Like it 
took my fandom out of me. It just like grabbed it by the neck and and completely yanked it out of me. Like I was already sort of trying to be fair, be objective as as best I could. Um, but that destroyed that that side of me to a degree. I mean, even the next year, I was covering the finals here and in my in Miami. Like I was stringing for the Miami Herald or maybe the Palm Beach Post. I can't remember which one it was, but like as the celebration was going on on the court, I'm like in elevators trying to get to the heat locker room. It was it's like it totally flipped my world upside down. And as I as I feel for what's going on around the city right now, this sort of feeling of like basketball excitement has returned. Um, and even last year, just and now circling back to your point and, and enjoying last year's team, uh, I think that if you cared about wins and losses, covering that team in person would have probably broken you. I mean, for the most part, there were like no more than, I don't know, man, anywhere from like five to seven or eight media members at any given time uh, covering these games in San Antonio, sometimes less like very few media f- members from traveling teams were even in the building last season. Um, the, the Spurs trip just really didn't matter and it shouldn't have. And now you look at all the outlets and how much they're cutting costs laying people off, all of this stuff. It's just sort of part of the deal now. But I really enjoyed covering that team. I really enjoyed the the young guys and the way they handled the situation. There were a lot of losses, man. There were a lot of ugly nights. But then there were also some fun nights. Like, And the, and the cool thing was that they could go on that 16-game losing streak that they had. Or I think they had an 11-game losing streak as well. And I think they might have had a 13-game losing streak. I don't really remember anymore. But all it took, all it took was one win. And like you just said at the beginning of the, at the podcast, we're, we're back up. Like they were back and ready to go, optimistic as hell, like bright-eyed, ready to bounce. Like it was, it was cool to see them grow and to see them sort of learn through those experiences, learn as players, put, be, put in roles that they shouldn't, probably shouldn't be in uh, and probably won't be in in the future. Um, but what I do believe this group was prepared for was to bring on someone like Victor Wimbanyama, like to bring on the guy they as a group sort of developed this support system that I can genuinely see carrying some weight going forward. And, and I think that's probably a good question. When you look at the timeline here, when Wemby gets to town, I think there's an, a, a, a sentiment that the Spurs should try to hurry or try to bring in more help. Try to try, try, try to try, <laughs> try to win. Um, and I'm curious about your thoughts on that because there are uh, certainly differing viewpoints on where the Spurs should go from here, both with the supporting cast we've talked about and obviously the introduction of Wembenyama. Yeah, so... A few thoughts on that. One note on last season, which is that it's funny you mentioned all the losses. 
for me, I didn't find last season nearly as frustrating as the couple prior to that because partly it was about expectations and about what I thought the group could do and what I wanted to see out of the right. group. And it was all misaligned expectations are always kind of the greatest source of frustration where last year I truly never went into a single game believing that they right. were likely to win. I mean, even games against the Rockets or Pistons or something like that. I said, well, these are now coin flips or something like that, right? You know, it's like that, you know, so. I, you know, so that, so it just, so when you saw them do nice things on the court, even just for brief flashes, that was the joy you took from it. But the question then becomes like, but now that team is going to add a guy that people believe is a a generational player. You know, some people have called, uh, people have literally called the greatest prospect of all time. I'm not ready to use that level. It's tough. (laughs) It's tough to say that. It is. Yeah, it's a lot to to say that. I, I get why people are saying it because he certainly is unlike any. I was yeah, I was going to say maybe the most unique. Like uh, we've never seen yeah, a, a prospect like yeah. this. But yeah, the best. It's tough, man. LeBron is still it's playing tough, basketball tough. twenty years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. I think for me, I fall somewhere in the middle of this debate, which is that I don't believe that they need to rush it in the sense that you need to try to get competitive right away that you need to go out there and use all that cap space you've got to put players around him try to make the playoffs next year um i think what you can definitely do is pull the timeline forward and start to think about being competitive in two, three years as opposed to four to five. Uh, the timeline is definitely very different than if you're drafting Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. Sure. I'll be quite honest. You know, it's like I, so. It's it's that you. It changes. For me, what I think you want to do is. It's not yet about the pieces that you're filling around Yem, Wemby. It's whom you are pairing him with. Even at the very, very top, even when you have superstar players like a Jokic, they've got a Murray. You know, LeBron's got to have his Davis. You know, Steph has been surrounded by super talent. You know, Steph Steph is there paired with the second greatest shooter of all time, right? You know, it's like things like this, where it's like, you know, it's, and for me, the hunt is now the question is, where do we find that guy? You did step one. You got your ace. You got your number one option. Now, how do you find smartly find your number two option? You have a lot more tools in your toolkit with which to do that. It doesn't need to come from the draft. You will be a more attractive free agency destination, and you have way more cap space than a lot of teams do. And and the cap is going to become a very restrictive reality for a lot of teams here very quickly but also you've got a lot of young guys you've got tons of draft capital and you've got tons of young talented guys the majority of which you probably shouldn't see as untradeable if for the right person right for the right person you know so it's like that so i think suddenly so for me it's it's about being there's a difference between being aggressive and hurrying there's a difference in being like but you know poised and impatient right so like now it's just like now you want to start focusing on that problem 
and and looking to actively solve that problem and identifying that not not like let's go plug holes let's fill things you know oh we need we need help at the point guard position who are the best point guards available right now it's oh it's fred van fleet let's get try to get i don't think that's not my attitude around this which is let's start the wrong way to think about roster construction at this time in my opinion no i mean i think that's look man i I agree i think it's healthy i don't think that you just go uh i I don't like the idea of go pay the guy that's out there if he's not the per like if you can't look at this player and say i can see him being the starting point guard three four five years and now or three five years from now or regardless of position, whatever it is, I'm just not a huge fan of that. I would rather see a team, no matter what team it is, build within itself, figure out what it has in place, and then sort of build out. I just think that's the most, the healthiest way to construct a roster. And I'm not saying necessarily that there aren't guys out there who could be like, hey, Five years from now, we really do think that that guy would be a great bench player. and But that's what the draft is for, right? Um, so I, I just, I think it's an interesting discussion. Um, and I, I want to circle back. You talk about, like, let's look at the finals. You, you look at Jokic. You look and you talked about Jamal Murray. You talked about finding that number two, finding the guy for Wembenyama, do you think that Devin Vassell has a chance to be that guy? Because when I watch him play, and granted he was hurt for more than half the season last year, missed a lot of time. But when I watch Murray, who's not like this traditional, conventional point guard type, he's a scorer. He's he's a scoring guard, um, a combo guard, pretty much, if you want to call it that. He's racking up like double-digit assists every night in the finals. And I'm looking at Devin Vassell, who is actually really good in the pick and roll, and wondering to myself, like, could he be that number two? We've seen the scoring ability, the shooting, the playmaking at times, especially last year, the ball handling. And I'm curious what you think about him in that capacity, because I do think there is at least for the Spurs, a little bit of hope that he can become that guy. Look, number 11 overall pick, man. This guy is supposed to be good, right? So now that he has the man in place and his partner, like, is there a possibility of this being the case? So I, you're, it's not crazy to suggest. And certainly what I'm not trying to say is, is that you have to chase superstars or try to build a top heavy team again just to reference like upcoming cap changes you're going to find yourself in a more restrictive environment with some big albatross contracts you don't want to do that if you can have some more homegrown talent along the lines of a vessel or like the nuggets have done that is i think yeah. going to be a more sustainable approach to roster construction so i also think the thing you're seeing with murray that you might see with Devin is that Put that guy next to a top five player, a true unicorn player, and they blossom because that other guy is creating so many problems for the defense that suddenly the the second a guy who looks good starts to look great because of all the options that are coming to him. I think that's an area where we just don't know what the Spurs players are going to give us because they've never 
been asked, or they've not even asked, they've never had the opportunity to execute next to a guy who creates problems for a defense the way Wemby does. No. And you're going to see them all have abilities and find creases and like find ways to apply their talents in new ways when they're no longer the focal point of the defense. It's very easy to make life hard for Vassal if like that's your whole job as a defense is like well that's the best guy let's just go like let's take him out of the game you know it's it's that this is a i think that that that's something where we'll learn in the coming years and part of the reason i don't want to rush because i also think that you want to figure out a you want to see if you've got that guy how's Sohan going to evolve? Yeah. He's super talented. He's super interesting, but he also is a big ball of clay. There's so much potential in so many directions. How's he going to evolve? Where is Vassal topping out at? Can he top out at an all-star level? And the answer could very well be yes. There's things here that you want to figure out. And then also you want to figure out who's the, what's the role or the, the person, the archetypal player you want to pair most with Wemby. And do we have somebody who fits that mold? Is it somebody else you got to go find? I, there's just questions. To, you've answered the most important question. Who is Who's going the to guy? anchor yeah. the next seven to ten years of the team? Right? You've answered that question. But then now there's, but that opens up a bunch of other questions. And it, there's no reason to rush into those answers. Well, and, and, and that's so different from, like, how, wait, how old were you? Well, like, we're, we're roughly the same age. I was 12 when Tim Duncan was drafted. Do you remember, uh, like, how much do you specifically remember about the Duncan draft or the Duncan lottery or anything like that? Because I remember very little. I remember I was sitting in my mom's Suburban outside of a pool party in Fredericksburg, Texas, like a kid's pool party, listening to the radio. I had no idea what Tim Duncan looked like. I didn't I didn't care or know about any of his accomplishments at Wake Forest. I think I'd heard his name before, like mentioned during the NCAA tournament. I just knew he was a good player, but I didn't know if he was I didn't know if he was a forward, if he was a center, or hell, if he was a guard until I heard that he was six eleven or seven feet tall or whatever. But like I'm looking back to the last time this team landed someone like Duncan. I don't obviously remember Robinson. I think he was drafted the year I was born. So, um, but yeah, do you, do you have a recollection of what happened during the day? I liked, I was a growing up. I was a bigger college basketball fan than I am today. So I did watch Duncan in college and then was excited when we got him. I'd be lying if I said I remember in a lot of detail. I probably didn't even watch the draft, if I'm being honest. I probably was. Did they even televise it in 1997? I don't even remember. But I mean, but we, but we were going to games his rookie year. My dad and I were going to games his rookie year. And we certainly in, you know, 99, you know, my dad's from New York. He's a Knicks fan. So that was oh. kind of a, a very, that, yeah, that was, that became a, defining moment in our household where my dad was like i'm a knicks fan we're knicks fans and i was like we are not knicks fans <laughs> i like i i like we've lived in texas my whole life you've been taking me my whole life to spurs games because we because my dad loves the nba so and i grew up in austin and the spurs were the closest sure obviously the closest team to go to so that's where we'd always go to games 
And he was like, well, the Knicks are in the finals. We're rooting for the Knicks. And I certainly rooted for the Knicks in uh, when they played the Rockets because I didn't like the Rockets either way. So I was down to support. But, but, it, but in 99, I was like, no, this is I like these guys. I've got a David Robinson jersey on my wall. I had it growing up as a kid. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not rooting for the Knicks. Yeah. So That's all the, there is to it. Know, so that, <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah, get used to it. Totally. And, and, and here, you know, you know, 24, 25 years later, you know, I've uh, – Feel that was the correct decision. Uh, the <laughs> so, it's been better. You have you have evidence uh, to I, show your dad now. Yeah, I made the right <laughs> so, choice. You were, yeah, you, were totally. you were steering so, me in the wrong direction. But it is interesting to reference, and it's it's funny to reference because it's interesting to talk about Duncan because Duncan and Robinson, you both see them come into the team, and then the team immediately improved by 35 games, make the second round of the playoffs. You just see a huge leap forward. Now, obviously the circumstances in which Duncan did that are so unique. The team is probably fairly decent and just has this crazy rash of injuries. You know what I mean? Which is, we're talking about a very different context that Duncan's ending into. I don't think that uh, anybody should be, you know, anointing, this the Spurs the 2025 NBA champions right. at this it, right you know right at this point but it's like I it's it is interesting you know we there's a history here of incredibly just hitting the gas and having incredible productivity as a team very quickly after acquiring the guy and in this instance I think you there's so much deconstruction to get roster deconstruction to get back to this moment that a little bit of patience with this team, these young men is, is what makes the most sense. Oh yeah. I want to, this is not the same situation. I mean, it just, it's not, you also don't want to, what I don't want to say though is I don't want to say they should wait. What I don't want to say is that he's not in his prime. You want to let him blossom, you know, whatever. It's like a lot of guys, a lot of teams have let, their star players flounder for too long, yeah. not enough support when they were ready to go. Yeah. Think about, you know, th- think about some of the teams that, I mean, think about Jokic or think about some of the, think about um, the, the Cavs team that the Spurs played in 07. Yeah. The Cavs were not serious enough about putting real guys around LeBron and capitalizing on what they have. You do not want to be. There are a lot of examples of it, man. No question. There's a lot of, you do not want to get to a place where we're in to Wemby's extension, you know, after his rookie deal. And he's starting to feel frustrated. Look at the way Luca has been talking this year and has started to act. You're seeing a guy who looked very comfortable and very confident to be a pillar of a franchise start to show frustration. You do not want to let that seep into the ground. Well, I mean, look at like so look I, at even in in Milwaukee. Like I there's security there. I don't think people are like too worried, but every single year there's sort of this sense of like we have to we have to do right by Giannis. We have to do right by Giannis. Man, they won a title two calendar years ago. Two. Like they're not that far removed from it and they're no. and, and they're looking at the situation like, "Oh god, do we need to trade Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, we have to put a team back around back around Giannis and it's especially important for these small markets who are freaking out on a yearly basis 
that their guy isn't happy or wants more or whatever it might be. So you're right. You're right. They have to they have and to And I move. do think Wemby I will say Wemby's a very mature guy. Yeah, we'll talk about he's that in a second. Serious. You're right. He is. Yeah. But he's also a very driven guy. Yep. And he does strike me as a guy who if you if he starts to view the team as an impediment to his success rather than an enabler of it, he could get frustrated. And he probably has a right to feel yeah. that way. But you need to demonstrate there's a fine balance here. You don't want to rush it and make bad decisions that put a ceiling on how effective the team can be. You also don't want to wait too long and make the guy feel you're not taking the opportunity seriously enough because he's going to come into the league and he's going to immediately think to himself, I want to be competitive right now. He is not going to love a 16-game losing streak. No. He's going to find that infuriating. Well, you know, and that I'm not saying that the, uh, the guys didn't, that they're uncompetitive or something. I just mean that his, it's very, very evident that his expectations for himself are very high. He seems um, very aware, but he also, he, he seems, he seems aware both of him of himself and of the situation he's entering. Like he, he understands that he's not going to go from the finals game in his French league to competing for a title with the Spurs. And he's made that clear. 100%. Like he knows no, he, that he's very realistic. He's very realistic, but you're right. He doesn't seem like he's here for bullshit. Like he seems like no, he's here for a purpose good. and it's good. It is good. This is what we want. I mean, you want that, but you also as an organization have to rise to the challenge yeah. and meet. If you get a guy who's serious like that, you have to meet them at their level of intensity and their commitment to success. So that the but that but the nice thing is is the Spurs are pretty good at that. That is a thing that they have a lot of practice meeting they have a lot of experience working with guys who have immense expectations yeah. and and meeting those expectations. So Yeah, um I think in general I understand the idea of I understand both sides of the equation like let's I understand putting the the foot on the pedal and saying, let's go get some guys. Let's make life easier. Let's try to compete right now at the same time. And, and, and this is an important part of the equation, by the way, the Spurs have potentially six first round picks over the next two years, not this summer, but the next two years. So when I look ahead and when I listen to Wembenyama talk about like, I understand that I'm going to need some patience at first, that this is a young team that we're going to need to grow together. I get all of that. So listening to him talk that way, looking forward and saying, okay, they have a year. <laughs> they have a year. Like, I don't think it's not going to be any more than that. But I do think there is a grace period where the Spurs can look at their situation and say, We've got one season to figure this out for sure and go with whatever it is we believe we've got. They could have three picks next uh, next summer in the first round. They could have three picks the next year. There's an opportunity there to package those together and move up in the draft. Hell, there's a, a, a possibility that tomorrow night they find something maybe in the mid-teens I don't know how they get into the lottery. I, 
unless some team really, unless they just really overpaid some team that, that, that buys it. I don't know how they get into the lottery, but I do think that there are opportunities in the late teens, maybe early twenties to go get an upside player who translates and who looks good next to Wimbanyama. As you said, you're not totally just looking for specific positions. You're looking for anybody like the guys that you can see going forward, whatever capacity it is they're playing in, they're going to fit alongside this guy. There's still a little bit of time, but it's not much. It's not much like this guy isn't going to take the shit. You can tell that he's serious. And you know what I'll say about him is that they have a little bit of time, but you know what they can't do? They had at least a frustrated. I think they had a bad stretch of organizational indecision after the Kawhi meltdown where they were, they were hesitant to blow it up, but they weren't making big moves to rebuild and get back to the top tier. They were kind of biding their time. And when they got decisive, it paid dividends this year. I think that in general, it's not that they have to rush, but they need to be decisive. Right. They need to chart a path, communicate that path, and then execute on that plan. Right? You know, is that tell Wemby, here's how we're building a team yeah. around you. And this is and this is what we do, and this is the timeline it's gonna take. And by the way, by the way, I, I'm not always on board with like letting the rookie know, hey, here's our plan. Here's how we're laying it out. I promise you we're going to do this. Like, this is how it's going to go. This is what we're forecasting. But with this guy, I have no problem with that. Like, let him know. Let him know what the deal is, man. Let him know what the deal is. Yeah, I'm not saying, listen, they've been good at balancing the management of of superstars and things like that. I, I think we, you know, it's not as if... Tim Duncan didn't, for all of his humility and hard work, didn't know how good he was. Right. You know, and Tim Duncan had opportunities to leave. There was a point where he really, we, we, everybody, we have definitely all just blocked out, you know, all of the photoshopped images of him in a magic jersey at the end of his, like, first year. You know, like, we, like, how much they flirted with that. Things that, you know, we, we there are moments where that the, shit was close, man. That almost happened. It almost happened. So I'm just saying that they, they've managed this in the past. I think they can manage it again. I, I just, but it requires confidence, clarity of vision, and then execution. You know, right? So that's, but you have the most important thing, which is that the hardest thing to get in the NBA is a person who earnestly projects as a top five NBA player. And you should feel reasonably confident you've acquired that individual. Agreed, man. Let's uh let's take a quick break, all right? All right, we're back. Uh I, I wanted to hit on what you just said a second ago. You're talking about the fact, look, they got their guy. And and it's not just from a basketball perspective. Um for those who haven't heard this clip, I'm gonna run this uh and and I know Graydon, I know you've heard this, but let's kind of put this make this fresh in our minds because honestly it was pretty impressive to hear this from a 19 year old we have seen this happen to a number of young athletes who lose i think a sense of reality and they lose that grounding principle of their life 
What is your totem? Uh, you know what you just said about young players. Uh, this is something I thought about a lot. I, I know I'm. I know I'm never gonna turn like this. Like I know I'm never gonna lose a grasp on reality and just uh, do some shit. You know, because um, I'm. I know what I want. Like I'm, I'm driven from like from the inside of my heart, and like nothing can put me out of my path. Like I do everything, I, I do everything I can, so I deserve what I get. And I think some some players are really talented, physically or technically, you know, really really talented, but their mind isn't like as good as their body is. You know what I'm saying? My totem is. It's something like it's something bigger than basketball, you know. It's it's just life. It's just accomplishing yourself inside this universe, you know. And when I need motivation, when I need energy, and I feel tired out, when I need a fight on the court, and it's it's hard, I always remember, I'm 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 free in that universe. I, I do whatever I can, and I know what I want to do, and nothing's gonna stop me from doing it. And I always got that in mind, and it doesn't just stop to basketball, you know. It's it's about life. Fuck, man. Jason. Well, well said. <laughs> Jason. Well, He's reached enlightenment. Well, <laughs> no, man. I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm really understood because, you know, in French, I, I, I know I can make myself understood, but in English, sometimes I'm not No, fluid. no, no. It's, it's, you understood. You understood. <laughs> it's very clear. It's very clear. Fuck, man. I wish I was free in the universe. <laughs> I wish I was free in the universe. All right. <laughs> Look, man, I, I, it's funny. It's funny to look at this and be like, man, if I was, if I was as good at anything in my life as Victor Wembanyama is at basketball, like the, the advice I'd be able to give, <laughs> the zen I would have achieved, um, it would be incredible. But that is the cynics' view of this because you do not hear nineteen-year-olds speak like that. You don't hear kids, let alone adults, man, have that type of perspective. And frankly, like, never mind the fact that he's incredible at basketball, but how freaking Spursy is that? Like, how much does that sound like music to the ears of someone like Greg Popovich or R.C. Buford or, or anyone within that organization? It's like he was built in a lab to arrive in San Antonio. Every every bit of him. He's a special guy, right? I mean, look, look I mean, the, the, the tool, the physical gifts he has are a bit unlike anything we've ever seen, you know, in our lives. But also mentally, he's, he's totally there. His focus, his intensity, his drive, and his sense of self. It's really impressive. It's what it... It, it's all the reason when I say you've got your guy, it's yet another reason to believe you've really got your guy. It's not that you've got the most talented guy on right. the team. It's you've also got a leader. You've also got a leader, right? And that and that that doesn't always come. We've seen a lot of guys who aren't the leader that the team needs, even if they're the best player on the team. Those aren't always the same guy. But you can feel very confident you're getting both. And it's just likable. It, it maybe just from a pure fan standpoint, it's just exciting to have a guy who just gets it. it, it right. Giannis, Giannis is different than Wemby in terms of the way they would have responded to that question. But it's the same way where when Giannis talks about losing in sports and kind of he has this, he's both incredibly competitive but has this 
wonderful sense of self and this real balance about life versus the game, you know, and things like that. He, he you know, it, it makes him all the more likable. And I think Wemby's the same way, right? Where he get these answers he gives, his lack of concern with narrative or buzz or hype, you know, the fact that his will to win just kind of comes from within. It's not about other people's expectations for him. You know, that that's the sort of stuff you want. It makes him incredibly likable. And it's going to be exciting to root for him not just because he's going to do a good job of putting the ball in the basket on a regular basis. Well, and I think that like, it's not just the idea that, okay, the Spurs have this great player and they have this great player, uh, winner, um, driven type of individual. They've had those guys before. Right. And they love them all the same, but there's a charisma to this guy. Like there, there's this level of like, Oh no, I don't mind the attention. Oh no, if you want to put a camera in my face or you want to surround me with a giant throng of people. Oh, you want to come say mob me at the airport. Like it it's different than anything the Spurs have ever had. Ever had. And I'm not it goes beyond just the player type. Like this is a guy that in a way tends or or appears to embrace the spotlight without making everything just all about him. Does that even make sense? Like he, he seems to have this balance where he's like, no, I don't mind it. Let's have fun. Give me attention. This is an entertainment industry. I know I'm good at basketball. Let's, let's have fun together, but don't get in my way. I'm not going to let you. And to me, that sort of balance rather than the latter part, which was don't get in my way, which was Duncan, which was Kawhi. Um, you know, I don't have, I honestly, like it's, I was too young to remember anything about like early David Robinson. Um, sure. But the other stuff, it's like, no, this is a superstar that is unlike anything the Spurs have seen. So this is going to be a different environment. Like, what is, what what is the city in store for? Because San Antonio, for the longest time, had always sort of craved attention. Always like we're winning all of these games, we're winning all of these games, but you guys aren't giving us the kind of media attention that we think we deserve. This guy, this guy feels like he is built in like a lightning rod going to be yeah like i said built in like a lightning rod man he's just going to be a different animal than the spurs have ever experienced altogether combine that with jeremy sohan who's his own type of lightning rod like we're looking at a very different era of basketball in san antonio that is going to be really interesting to watch considering considering how the organization likes to operate he's more He's different than LeBron, but there are a lot of LeBron comparisons here, which is that LeBron was a very exceptionally gifted young man. He's an exceptionally gifted old man now, but he's uh, but he's he was an exceptionally gifted young man. He was an exceptionally mature player at a very young age. Right. Yes, came in with a lot of perspective and a lot of seriousness, and a, and a, and a probably. A, uh, more balanced and poised than the average person at his young age. He and I are the same age. 
And he was born like a month after me. And I can assure you, I, I was probably not carrying myself the way he was uh, at, during that time. Yeah. But also what he also did was, you know, he took a team that is truly an afterthought in the league, especially at that time, the Cavs, and put them on the map, made the Cavs became the centerpiece of Nike campaigns, huge banners uh, outside their arena saying, we are all witnesses, yada, 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 right? You know, they, they became a national spectacle. They became, and I'm, I don't know if I'll go so far as to say cool, maybe they were cool, but certainly something, certainly something meaningfully above. They're simply a small market team with a very good player. It wasn't like the Bucks, right? I'll say that who have a very, very good player, but kind of do remain, a, the, the way they get treated is as a small market team, despite all the love and affection for Giannis and the appreciation for his unique talents. Um, they're like, it's, it's it, and I think Wemby, I don't know if he'll have LeBron's kind of natural, n- media skill i mean he clearly is very skilled in terms of he i don't mean that in terms of his ability to answer questions from reporters and things like that which Wemby's clearly very good at i mean lebron was very very deliberate and good about cultivating kind of the legend of lebron from day one and Wemby may not care as much about that it's not as obvious he may he may not it's not as obvious at this moment you know it's like um lebron was very good at cultivating that he was creating a, a legacy that existed beyond what he just did on the court you know, and yeah. that, uh, and that was so that contributed that a lot. But nonetheless, I I think there's a, there's going to be a comparison there about what that first Cleveland stint was like and the way it changed Cleveland basketball. Whew. Yeah. All, uh, but the 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 difference being is is that San Antonio has a legacy of success that Cleveland did not have. Right. That Cleveland had truly the exact opposite at that time. You know, so there. You know, so the you know, so it's. That's where it's different to see how they'll react differently. He he feels like he's now the latest to bear the torch rather than the than than the person who's finally taking them to the mountaintop, which is a, a different vibe as well. Yeah, he's you know he's been with Nike for a little while, I think. Yeah. Um. So he he and he's he's been like he's been training for this since he was like twelve. I mean, if you hear some of the stories where he decided, like, at that age, man, I'm going to be a professional. I'm sure at 12 years old, he was, like, 6'5", like, 6'3", maybe, like, something like that. But, like, he's talked about how, at a certain point, like, he made it his absolute mission to get to this point. And that includes everything. That includes, like, he speaks English very well. Um he it's not difficult to understand him um he understands the marketing he understands how to how to talk to media he's very patient he kind of does everything with a smile on his face and sort of a a, an easy an easy going look to him like he just seems to get it all already um lebron was like that right like LeBron was like that. Yeah, you're right about his playing easy thing. He he reminds me of you know there's he reminds me more of a Kevin Durant in that way. I mean, some people compare him to Kevin Durant because of his like length and his you know his perimeter play and things like that. But I don't mean his literal on the court skill set. I mean that like you know 
his the easy money sniper hole like Kevin never looks like he's trying that hard even when he's trying hard right. vibe that that I think Wemby has a little bit right where it's like the game comes easy to him you know and he is applying himself. I think he's playing with great intensity and great focus, but he just moves smoothly and and n- moves with confidence and then has the appearance of not applying himself. And I'm not even you know, talking about like just on the court. I'm talking about everything yeah. else. Like all this stuff as, man, I'm 37 years old. Some of the questions I hear, there was a question at his press conference today that I swear to God, man, it, it someone, I can't remember who it was. Someone from Bali asked him a question that lasted like a minute. It kept like it, it kept, he kept bringing up like all these things that he knew and like injecting himself and, and his bona fides into the question, which drives me crazy. Um, yeah, guys, but dude, Oh my so. God, man, it took forever. And at the very end, and after it, the after it was done, like Wemby just looked at him and goes, "Ooh, that was a long question." And he just smiled for a second, <laughs> and and he and then he answered. But he just takes everything in stride, and I cannot imagine what the attention has been like for him over the last however many years. Like really, since he was fifteen, man, NBA teams have been following this guy for four years. Like he has been yeah. on their radar for years. So this level of attention has obviously intensified over the last, you know, year or two. Um, but he's been around it his whole life. And I guess if you're conditioned to it, like maybe it's not that crazy that he handles it so well. But at the same time, like this kid is not even 20 years old yet. And he, he, he's, that's another way he's like LeBron in the sense that he's, for me... I don't claim to be, you know, we have other guys we know and have written with over the years who follow the draft and prospects much more closely than I do. Right. But he's, you know, as far as guys who end up going number one or just have very high picks on the very, very short list of guys who I had heard of years before they were drafted, three, four years before. Yep. Him and LeBron. Most, and most NBA draft picks, I learn about them in the fall before they are, I learn about them in October when they are going to be drafted in the subsequent June, right. or maybe the year before if they're like a hot high school prospect who's going to be one and done or something like that, right? But it's like it's it's the answer is it's not normally like, like we heard four, about we heard about Kyrie Irving the year before, right? Like guys like that, like, yeah, like, of course, yeah, a hundred percent. And I knew, but I mean, I. Like I said, I like college basketball. Like, there's a lot of guys who've gone number one over the years. Where it's like I n- knew who Anthony Davis was. Very Anthony early Davis on. is a good ben one. Yeah, Simmons, I knew who Ben Simmons was. I knew who a lot of Marcus Cousins, were, but I didn't know who they were when they were sophomores in high school. Right. I, you know, I didn't like I. I didn't. I or freshmen in high school. Or let alone knew who international guys were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. like let alone g- kids who are playing in France. Right. Luca could be the other exception yeah, there, one. where he started to make waves. He did a couple years before he got drafted. A couple, you know, he started to come up. He started to hear about it, and that's not just I'm talking about on the real sicko draft forums and stuff like right. that. I'm just talking about actually making ESPN.com page one like guy does guy who will play an NBA does something special 
you know, type the headlines. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah. So I, I think uh, the sickos are always going to find those. Oh, guys. the sickos are already finding a man. Like, I, you know, I, um, I, uh, after the lottery, Brian Wright spoke with the media and I asked him about how the team sort of strategizes like this right now, like how they strategize right now with drafts in mind next year in 2025, in 2026. And he basically said like, look, man, it matters. (laughs) We're watching. There are 15 year olds out there that we really like. Um, but we can't count on them. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what a 15 year old is going to become. Uh, but let me tell you, man, just like NBA teams are out there, the good ones, at least the ones who are doing this the right way, much like they are looking at drafts two, three, four plus years in advance. Like the Spurs don't just willy nilly go request a 2025 pick from Atlanta and a 2027 pick from Atlanta and a 2018 pick from Boston. Like it's not completely random. Like they know what they're doing. Um, but just like them, there are people out there who, who follow this stuff like crazy. It ain't me. Um, but like you see the, the kinds of, uh, coverage that's going on around like youth leagues these days. And the idea of Amanu Ginobili falling to number 57 overall is like impossible to think about. Hell, even Giannis a decade ago slipping, impossible to think to whatever, 15, I think. I mean, look at Jokic. Jokic went in the 40s, right? And, and, that, and that's longer ago than people probably think. He's been like, yeah it's true i had a buddy of mine who's not a big nba fan we were watching the finals together and he was like so this guy's been in the league like three years or something like that i was like no man i was like no man he's been around for it's like i, Close I was to like a, three years yeah man league MVP. i was like yeah i mean he's not a big nba fan. no of course but, 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 but that goes to show you it literally goes to show you that the year the guy was winning the MVP, you know, my buddy who is a general sports fan. It's like just you know, now learning about him. Later, yeah, like I, you know, you know, so. Speaking, uh, speaking of Jokic, man. Okay. I think this is a fun hypothetical. Um, people might throw their phone across the room if they're looking on the, or if they're, if they're listening to this on their phone. But um, would you trade the number one pick? If Denver was like, here's Nikola Jokic, or if, if or if Knicks Milwaukee was like, here's here's Giannis Antetokounmpo, if the if the Knicks called offered Julius Randle, <laughs> Derrick Rose, a second round pick, yeah. as the New York Post is probably reporting right now that they're offering, you know that uh, the uh, the um I I uh, the my okay, I think it's a fun exercise to ask who would you trade? Yeah, for Wemby. Yeah. My incredibly and, and Jokic has to be on the list. Giannis has to be on the list of guys you got to consider. My boring answer is there is no answer. The answer is no. You actually don't do it. Oh, you just go with it. Okay, okay. You just don't. You just don't do it. Like there's literally nobody. 
There's no package in the I mean, I do think it's funny that if the Suns offered Durant, Booker, and Beal, I don't even think we could do it because we 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 could trade the whole team and no, not meet the roster. Require the salary them. requirements for the trade. I don't think we could balance out the salary requirements. But it's like I think that uh, the um, uh, <laughs> the it's. Uh, I think those two – it's like it's crazy money, man. No, the Spurs, by the way, yeah, the Spurs do not have enough money to match Booker. No, they don't, I, don't think they could, I don't think they could legally make it work even if they traded literally every guy on the who's signed up for this next year. But I think that they, they – the for me, I don't think you do it because of where the state of the team is today. There's no reason in skipping forward to a more mature – older talent but who is inherently on a shorter contract even if they're just at the start let's say of a multi-year contract you're still going to have them for fewer years or assuredly for fewer years than you're likely to have Wemby I know there's no assurance he'll stay after his rookie deal but in all for all intents and purposes 99.9 percent .9 of guys of his caliber stay into the extension past the rookie deal you've basically got him for seven years you know, that yeah. like, and you, and the, and there's nobody you would assuredly have for that window. And it's not worth springing forward because you can't make good on that. Even if you had Giannis tomorrow, the amount of work you'd have to do as an organization to make having Giannis worth it, you're just too far away from real contention. To me, the actual answer is no, even though it's... It's funny to okay. consider. That's, it's, Who would you flip for the one? Listen, man, that is a measured level-headed, objective <laughs> take. Let me screw this thing around here real quick and, and change the math a little bit because this, to me, is where this question gets interesting. Make Jokic 21 years old. Make him 22, 23 years old. Something like that. Like, this is... You're getting, you're getting Nikola Jokic. But he's this age. He's 23. He's not 27, 28, whatever he is now. Like... You're talking about a guy who is going to be the future. Make it Giannis, whatever you want to do, but just drop like five years from their age and say like, do you want to take that level of talent right now or do you want to bank on what Wembenyama might become? I think it's I a legitimate question, man. <laughs> I still think you but you go yeah? Wemby, but, okay. but I get... I get Listen, Jokic to me is the real. He, I'm, and I'm. This isn't just recency bias because obviously the Nuggets looked so good in the postseason, and and you know he played terrifically, and you know truly looked like the best player in the NBA over the last two months, right? You know, but I, it, he actually is a guy who, like Wemby, kind of projects as somebody unlike we've ever seen before yeah. i mean Jokic is unlike he does things his combination of skill it's sets unbelievable man un he's unbelievable he's unbelievable and if, if anything it's like it, it, it's a little you know watching them win now it's I'm, you find yourself a little confused how they didn't win sooner it's like injuries I, and injuries the, injuries and the answer is yeah. injuries yeah. the answer is injuries that's correct that's you're correct the but it's he just is so impressive and so that it's true it's tempting but for me i i like the idea of it goes back to who wemby is it goes back to the soft stuff 
the way he's, he's spoken in interviews and things like that, and then kind of the foundation you're building around. Yeah. But to me, he, feel, he feels like a good cornerstone. And he feels spursy. He feels yeah. like, and he seems excited to be there. His reaction when they got the number one pick, it was very earnest and joyful. He seemed happy that that is what happened. What was better, Graydon? What was better? And be straight up honest here in in your heart of hearts. The reaction, I think he had like a double fist pump when the Spurs were selected number one. What was better, that or the single fist pump and the look to the side when the Rockets were announced fourth? <laughs> I, did, I mean, God, I, I, God, the Rockets getting fourth was so good. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm gonna be. I'm not gonna lie here. It's the Rockets because at the end of the day, this is <laughs> sports isn't about winning. No, sports is about failure. Sports is about failure. Only one team is a champion right. every year. Every other team didn't achieve their goal. Only one team gets the number one pick. Everybody else is just some other form of after that. And watching your rivals fill those spots is I could I could eat it with a spoon. Eat it with a spoon. I mean I just <laughs> we we, so we I, make we criticize haters far too much because being a hater in sports is one of the more enjoyable experiences that you'll yeah. you'll ever have in life. I mean <laughs> watching a team like you know and by the the Rockets and the Spurs always been rivals right but like it, it hasn't been a real thing in a while but that thing was a serious no. rivalry a long time ago and it still obviously is but just the enjoyment that that is derived from from watching like a houston draft party collapse on its knees when they're called number four and then like collapse even further onto their faces when the Spurs are picked number one. It's just like, the, it's some of the funniest, most entertaining stuff in sports, man. It, it just, it watching also, it's not just watching them go fourth, but watching the Blazers actually get third. You know yeah. what? Good for Portland. What an efficient tank. What a good efficient. Two years were, of efficient tried. tanking. Two years of efficient tanking, by the way. Go ahead. But also they, but also they weren't even coming in with the full blown tank. And then no. they did pivot. Pivoted hard and they made hay in a very short period of time. I respect it. I respect that. Like I, I respect the as a team that also tanks very efficiently. Yeah, the Spurs have a track record of tanking of one year hard tanks and then rebounds as a very efficient tankers. Experts. Game respect game. Game respect game. I saw what Portland did and I like the efficiency with which they got bad and got back out of it. Respect. Do you have any um? Do you have any thoughts on the Sun situation? Maybe even the Chris Paul situation. Like we're we're kind of bouncing around the NBA a little bit right now. I know, but but yeah, it's man. I think it's. I guess it's probably. Of course, it probably is because he's responsible for for so many phrases like this. But new owner syndrome. Um, yeah. Matt Ishbia in Phoenix. Bill Simmons, I think, coined that because, like I said, of course he he. Coins all sorts of shit like that. Um, 
But my God, man, we talked about the Suns for a second, but they are saying, screw the new CBA. Screw your second I mean, apron. I they're going to be like 10 mil shy of the iron apron when the new CBA rolls around with just three just guys. Just three guys. I mean, I, I just don't know how they're going to really build a team then. I would also like to say that I just don't actually believe I don't. I don't think that what they're doing is advisable. They're, this is as much. I'll tell you right now. If they don't win a title, Braden Gordian does they, not advise. If they don't win a title in the next two years, this will go down as a as a as one of the more famous screw ups yeah. of a team that had immense title potential. If you just had some calm and like, but. And I'll even say, even the Durant move, I thought it was costly. And I and some of the guys they lost, it was a little taxing. Clearly, it hurt their depth. And you saw the lack of depth when the time came. Big time. And clearly, Big time. they got, they've, but they And then they got, and now they're less deep. <laughs> they now they're, yeah. And they, they were in a good position to get out of, to get, they were already in position to get out of the Chris Paul contract. They didn't really need to move him in the sense that, like, cutting him, they could cut him by a certain date and have seriously limited, you know, the the, the cap impacts that he was going to have. So that they they had they had you know options there. I guess this was a way to acquire another very high. high yeah, they needed his contract to get Beal. Yeah, yeah, they needed the contract to get Beal. But did you need? Beal is my question. Like I just like I that like it's not. I get you needed this contract to get Beal, but that that that's presuming that you needed Beal. Like, well, that's the question, that, right? Like, was it was scoring the problem for them? Was offense the problem for them, or was it you know was it defense and depth? Because I think it's the latter. Yeah, it's not even really. De- I mean, it is defense to a degree, but it's not even really defense. It's, it's depth, it's depth yeah. right? And it's it's actually when you actually look at the teams that have won NBA titles in recent years, you see huge contributions from guys four through eight, four through nine. Huge. You see big contributions from those guys. Look at the Nuggets, Even man. On, look at the Nuggets. They're like, look at what Bruce Brown is totally, doing, or, or 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 like a. Or the other Brown, you know, the other, or like... Or dude, even like, even, and I know he's a starter, but like, look at the stuff like that, what Aaron Gordon became. Like, look at what guys like that became to build out this roster. He's the fourth highest paid player on that roster. And he was critical. You've got the Warriors, you've got the, you know, you've got Andre Iguodala sitting at home with an NBA Finals MVP, despite the other guys he played Wild. with. You know, you've got, like, look at, look at, go back to the, um, the LeBron Heat and look at some of the contributions that, like, Shane Battier or, like, other guys made over the course Ray of the, fucking the, Allen. The Mario Chalmers, like some of the good games Mario, Mario Chalmers had, like yeah. guys that are just guys that aren't like d- d- nobody would ever say, well, that's why they won or that's they lost. But the truth is those games, and as we know all too well, sometimes were razor thin and they came down to contributions of 
the guys that won't end up in the hall. Yeah. And like the and like the Suns just don't have any of those guys and they don't have they're not in a position to get any of those guys. Yeah. And uh, and I just think I just actually think you can be too top heavy in the NBA yeah. and the CBA is going to punish teams. Yeah, and it's that not gonna, it's it's top. not going to punish them immediately, but you kind of there was a little foreshadowing like you said if they don't win in the next 2 years like this is going to be a disaster it's going to be a disaster and that's right because the second apron becomes increasingly more punitive uh over the over like 1 year then 2 years then 3 years like it builds up and at the third year it is like max level you're dead <laughs> like you got to do something with this otherwise you're I mean, in in 2027, in 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 2027, right now, in the year 2027, the Suns have 114 million dollars on their payroll from just Bradley Beal and Devin Booker. <laughs> it's like they have 114, like they. they they both are owed fifty-seven million dollars that year. Oh. I it, like, like, I mean, it's it. That's that's gonna be complicated to manage. Hell yeah, man! Oh yeah, it is. No, they're they're going they're going all in, and they're hoping. And I, I and my guess is the strategy is as teams start to react to the realities of the new CBA as teams maybe even in their eyes start to overreact to the new CBA they're going to zag they're going to say screw it we're going all in right now right now with the idea of winning a title this year next year and then we'll see what happens after that because there is a and and Ishbia is going to figure it out soon because every single owner does once they start getting hit with that tax bill, like this has to change. So this is all in, man. This is all in right now. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I don't know. I kind of respect them for it. <laughs> like screw all of you. It's screw really all funny. of you. I mean, it's definitely like, it's definitely like I, I mean, I, it. I'm glad I'm glad we're not doing. I'm glad the Spurs aren't in a position where this is the type of moves they're right. making. I think it's somebody's doing it. It's fun, it. and, I, and I like I, and like because somebody. I want people. What I don't like is where the way to attack the problem of building a team becomes too templatized or like too. There's a belief that there's like one path. I like to see teams taking wildly divergent paths yeah. to get to the mountain top. It's just more interesting Agreed. if you see, if you see front offices having radically different strategies about how you get where you're going. And the truth is they've picked a very radical strategy. I mean they have picked a it's um I I I don't like it. I don't actually think it's smart, but they're going to win a lot of games because they have some incredibly talented guys. I think they would have won a lot of games before the Beal trade, I don't yeah. think winning a lot of regular season games was going to be the issue. Yeah. Either the the, but I, it it's just going to be complicated over time. I don't actually think it makes them the best team in the NBA. 
Um, and that, and I don't think it makes them the favorite, the favorite to win a title and a move like that probably should is basically. what. Yeah. I and we'll see, we'll see what they do with Deandre Ayton. He has a chunky contract and he's an appealing enough player, maybe to some where they could, they could stretch him into depth pieces into, into guys that can fit around Beal and Booker and Durant. We'll see what happens there. I think there's still some maneuverability. Um, yeah, I think somebody, it would be nice. It, you know what they would love? You know what they would love? For Aiton to get off to a good start. <laughs> hey, man, that would be cool, too. It would be cool for Aiton to be good and not just be well, like... I just mean, I just mean in terms of his tradeability. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. He has a, either way. He has yes. a nice first yeah. ninety days or something. Yeah. Suddenly, you, you, it's, it's very, it's very hard to sell high, but a smart team does, right? A smart team says we're gonna, you know, that, that, you know, we're gonna move guys when they're at their most valuable. I also, you I want to be real clear. What the Suns did, the trade that they, what the way. The way they acquired Beal, you do it a hundred times out of a hundred if you're not thinking about the money stuff, right? Oh, I, they got they the took Wizards him from the Wizards. What the Wizards got is 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 insane it unconscionable. And I know, Insa- and I know they I couldn't mean, do anything about it. The no trade clause screwed them. Like, and and also, yeah, no, totally, totally. And also the, it's not the father-son fault. combo of agent and team CEO, the Wizards were screwed, screwed from the start. But whatever, man, pull the Band-Aid off, yes. get out of there. And now, and, I'm, and we'll close it with this. We'll tie it back to the Spurs. Um, Chris Paul is going to be, at least temporarily, a member of the Wizards. And I think this is an opportunity for the Spurs to jump in and say, because the Wizards are going to be trying to recoup assets. Because as we've just noticed, or, or as we've just laid out, they got screwed. <laughs> they didn't get anything out of this. So they have this piece in Chris Paul. There are contenders who want him, who may not really have assets that they can pile up to sort of compete against each other in a trade conversation. But I just wrote about it. This is where the Spurs come in. They have assets. You're looking at the Lakers at number 17. You're looking at the Miami Heat at number 18. Two places, two places that I could realistically see Chris Paul wanting to go, and two places I can realistically see wanting Chris Paul's services. Here are the Spurs with whatever Charlotte's lottery protected pick next year, Chicago's top 10 protected uh, protected pick in 2025 a million second round picks do you just do you just do what the thunder started to do last year when they traded three first round picks to the Knicks for the rights to draft Jalen Williams which turned out pretty well by the way do you just do it man get the show on the road 2024 think- isn't a great draft class Go for it. There are some upside swing guys in 2000, in 2023. Do you just send them the protected picks that might not be that great anyway? Get them out of here and 
and start revving the engines a little bit right now. It, it, that's the the. This is going to be a disappointing answer because it's not that hot, that much of a hot take. But the the reality is, is it depends in the sense that I think you totally got to have right. your list. Totally right. You, you got to have your list of guys. You got to have a list of guys where you're like, here's we've got three or four guys that we. I'm not talking Miller and Scoot. I'm talking about you know guys who are realistically there between you know, that might go in the early teens, but could fall into the early 20s or something like that, right? And if they're there, we really, really, really like them and we're ready to pull the trigger. But if those guys do get taken early and other people believe, you don't just swap into that just to take somebody, right? You know, it's like, so that that's the answer. You But you, but you do have to do that work ahead of time and you've got to be ready to pull the trigger when, if it happens. You got to, but you, you got to go in with a plan. The reality is, is I, all I could tell you is if I even took a wild guess at who those guys were, it would mean that that's not the guy. Because other than Wemby, I'm wrong a hundred times out of a hundred about who the Spurs are going to draft, as is everybody. I mean, I just never, I just never have the foggiest who we are seriously looking at. So <laughs> it's true, man. No, I, and and I think you know this time of year everybody wants to talk about this like this idea of like oh the the Spurs are targeting this pick or they're targeting this guy or um oh they're a threat. I mean I don't know how many times now I've seen people reporting reporting quote unquote that the Spurs are are exploring ways to get in back into the lottery or back into the first round with another, with a second pick. They do this shit every year, man. Like I, I, the Spurs are always looking for ways to move up in the draft just because it doesn't happen. Doesn't mean they weren't trying. And they always have and to your point, to your point, they always have their guys on the board and if there are opportunities, they will drive at it quickly if they have the chance. Otherwise, like last year, man, Malachi Branham and Blake Wesley fell to them. Those two guys were both inside the top 20 on their draft board, and they fell to them. And they had enough intel to suggest that they didn't have to like make some move to move up to grab them. But every year is different. Every year is different. And they're is a very large gap between the number one pick and the number 33 pick. The number 33 pick is a cool one because you're not obligated to the first round contract. Um, It's right outside the first round. There's a lot more flexibility and the new uh, second round pick exception in the new CBA where you can have them up for up to three years is a great help for any team. So it's a valuable pick. but after like, again, it's kind of educated guesswork at this point, but after like pick 16, 15, 16, this draft turns into a huge crapshoot. So what the Spurs would have to be relying on if they want to move up is intel that would suggest that teams in their way would be jumping ahead to draft certain players. Because if the Spurs are looking at like late teens, if they're looking at teams like the Lakers and the Heat, who are both looking to acquire more picks 
to help them further facilitate moves or to just get off of it because they don't want a rookie right now. Um, so it's, it's complicated, man. It's complicated. And so much of this stuff happens on draft night, happens as teams watch players fall. Hell, depending on what happens with Charlotte and Portland at numbers two and three, in a great draft, in a three-player draft, like we're sitting here looking at like, are Charlotte and Portland actually going to make these picks? And with great prospects on the board, like, we, and we don't know. So everything could change up to the minute on Thursday night, tomorrow night, as we as we talk now here on Wednesday. I, I think, my, yeah, just to finish it off, I think, I personally think Charlotte and Portland end up making their picks. Agreed. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, we'll see what else goes down. I don't know who I think is going to go. I don't even have a strong opinion on who I think should go second. Um, but I think that it's, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. The nice thing is, you know, what I'll say about that is those are second and third pick problems. I don't have to worry <laughs> about right. that. I get to sleep soundly tonight because I'm not really worried about who we're going to take in the draft. Those are, those are other people's problems. If everyone in San Antonio can kick back right now, man. Kick back. Yeah. Don't worry about it. W- whatever happens when it comes to the, you know the trade conversations, whatever happens when it comes to free agency, whatever happens in general, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There are plenty of avenues, whether they're explored now or later, you're getting Victor Wembanyama. You don't have to worry about the Scoot Henderson fit with with Lamelo Ball or or Damian Lillard. You don't have to worry about did Brandon Miller try in his first workout and then not try in his second workout or the other way around. Oh, by the way, is a criminal case in his future at any point you don't have to worry about this stuff it's it's gravy from here so long as the spurs are able to handle it well which in the past and i know people want to look at the Kawhi situation and be like oh that's a red flag man that was an anomaly that dude was california bound uh the second there was a ripple in the water so I just want I just want to as we cover this thing exhaustively and we talk about trades and we talk about are the players on the current roster good enough and we talk about what the timeline is the vibe in San Antonio right now is what it is because your team is getting an unbelievable prospect with an incredibly with an incredibly t- intelligent head on his shoulders and a perspective on life and oh yeah a skill set <laughs> like things are good things are good no matter what happens the spurs could sit back and just take pick number 33 take pick number 44 and it's just fine because at the end of the day they felt you know maybe there wasn't a move out there that 
would have been worth it. Okay, fine. Move on to next year. There's a lot more time. They have a lot more assets. Like I said, man, life is good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I'll, I'll leave you with this little thought, which is that when you actually look at the number of teams in the NBA that have had a dynastic period, that have had a multi-year or even decade-plus long stretch of serious contention. Mm-hmm. It's not very many have had one. No. And very few have had more than one. And there was a world in which we all had to really stomach the rest of our lives knowing that we had already watched the best basketball that would ever get played in San Antonio. And that, what it, what it perhaps felt like almost an inevitability has now been totally upended. The door has been kicked back open. Yeah. And they're not contenders. Somehow. There's a million things that need to be done between here and being great again. But the hardest step was the first one. And they did that. Somehow, you know, so the hardest, so, so it's like, so there's a, uh, so that, you know, so there's, there's all the reasons in the world to be optimistic. Well, and I want to, I also want to, man, maybe this is an entirely different conversation, but I do think that it is interesting to see now this team that has a, Polish American and Jeremy Sohan, who's traveled the world. Victor Wembanyama, a Frenchman, traveled the world. You look at the NBA as a whole, who are the best players in the league right now, man? They're all international guys. It's true. There is a very real correlation here where you see these kids who have been playing all over the world from the age of like 14, 15, like really young ages, experiencing different types of basketball, different types of coaches, different types of style of styles of play and competition. Like you, you look for the market inefficiencies these days and there are very few of them, right? Like there are very few that really stick out like this idea that these guys can slip in the draft and all that stuff, it's just not as likely anymore. There are scouts combing the earth for these guys. But what the Spurs have sort of continuously done is value the international players. I'm not even talking about Wembenyama. He's an obvious choice. But they've been... And I know that they are they are still watching, by the way. They are still watching a couple of guys in this draft that uh, I'm going to write about this before the draft tomorrow. They're still watching some guys. Um, but I think there's something very real about the idea of blending within a locker room, blending cultures, blending styles, blending people from different places on the planet. Um, I think this stuff matters, man. I, I don't have any sort of way to analyze this analyze this from like a, a quantitative perspective but i just believe in it i believe in this sort of synergy and this difference in styles and what all these 
players bring from a worldly perspective. And it's cool to see that type of comp when you look back at the team you talked about, the team that in 2014 played some of the most beautiful basketball we've ever seen. Um, And I just, I think it's very exciting for Spurs fans to look ahead and think that something like that might be possible again, not just great basketball players, one-on-one scorers, rebounders, passers, whatever, all of it, the whole picture. Um, Yeah. I just think that there's a lot to look forward to. And um, as long as, as long as this guy stays healthy, as long as everyone stays healthy, as long as these players are able to blend and play off one another and understand the sort of bigger picture. Um, I think they've got a great chance to do something cool. And and I don't think they're contenders next year, but I think they're going to be better than a lot of people uh, might think they will be. I think the tank season sort of warped some people's minds. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be interesting a, a very a very um eclectic and uh <laughs> an interesting crew of players that's going to be taking the court next year. Graydon, I appreciate you coming on man. It was really good to talk to you. Uh It was great for having me. Yeah. I can't wait to come back. Yeah, we're going to have to do this again. Uh well there's obviously going to be plenty to talk about this year. So you're always You're welcome, welcome back at any time, my friend. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. All right, Appreciate man. it. Take care. Let's first go. Dive right in this